All right, all right, all right. Let's get fired up here. Maximum freedom. Read. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Actual Anarchy Podcast, the podcast where we talk about movies from a Rothbardian anarcho-capitalist perspective. Tonight we have a special guest again. He has been our guest recently for the Breaking Bad movie, El Camino. He is Jared Wall of Breaking Liberty, and we'll introduce him on the last night's portion of the show. But this portion of the show is the actual anarchy portion of the show, and this is episode 164 of the show. And we always like to check in with Robert and his entrepreneurial efforts at the very beginning here. Uh, I understand that due to snow and ice conditions that he has been shut down as far as being able to do anything uh, as far as serving his fellow man, fellow customers. But uh, he did tell me yesterday that he still had to go and do managerial type work uh, on the business. And so my, my quip back to him, well, you know, those workers aren't going to exploit themselves. So, Robert, tell me how, how are things going over there as we uh, get into this episode? Well, we're trying to exploit more and more people, we're trying to hire them on at... Uh you know, non-living wages. So fingers crossed we get those numbers up. You know, right now we're at rookie numbers. We've only got a couple people employed, but we're working on raising the exploitation level, raising the number of people exploited uh, as soon as possible to grow the business and, um, you know, really just uh, continue the capitalist big takeover. It's all about them profits, baby. Profits over people, apparently. Now, That's right. I don't recall the exact specifics on this, but I think the project Veritas recently came out with a Bernie Sanders staffer or campaign person, organizer, yeah. who said that the revolution is coming and it's going to get violent. But he also said that the gulags in uh, Stalin Russia, Stalinist Russia, weren't so bad. And in fact, they paid a living wage. Yeah, they're really not that bad. I mean, you take one of these bourgeoisie types and you give him a pickaxe and you put him out in 20 degree weather and he's got to you know, break rocks in order to keep the heat in order to stay alive teaches them what a day of work is like, you know, that's just, that's just good old fashioned re-education. That's good old education. Daniel. Yeah. Now that's I might... the most efficient and proper thing he could be doing with his time for the rest of humanity, you know, breaking some rocks and learning that learning the value of a day's work in a re-education camp. Get a, little, stuff. get a little Bill Burr going on there in your inflection and intonation. It's great. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm in a lot of pain right now. So I guess I, I go to my inner Burr when I'm, hurting <laughs> yeah he's great he was great in um oh shit you probably haven't even seen this yet i ain't uh, seen no mandalorian so shut up with your mandalorian talk all right but you know he's in it right you know that i much. know okay all right well that's that's good enough that's all you need to know he's in it and for that particular episode it's a standout because he's is it a, is he funny or is it just some random like in breaking bad bill burr is bill burr i mean he's funny if you like him he's funny no matter what he does okay. he's, okay. he's bill burr all right, all right. now Back back to the Bernie thing before we, we, we'll go to the last nighters in just a moment here. Uh, I, I might be mixing my stories up between Project Veritas and the Babylon Bee because I know that the Babylon Bee came out with something right after the Veritas stuff that had something to do with gulags and living wage. So may, maybe that part's not not actually uh, true. Maybe that's the satire bit. I don't know. I, I unfortunately live in this 
bubble of barely skimming headlines. And so I don't know the details beyond it. So you're basically like the average informed voter skimming headlines. Oh, if that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the education system has apparently failed me. And uh, I don't know what we're going to do about this. You know, come come election season. Who knows? I'm going to do something wild. I'm going to vote. What? No, no, I'm not going to. Are you all in on Hornberger? Is that what you're doing? You know, I do appreciate somebody having a relatively consistent message out there that hasn't been heard since 2012 in that arena. A consistent message? Relatively consistent. Much more consistent. Okay, relatively consistent. Yeah, he's pretty good. The government is evil, so elect me to run the evil government because I'm good. I don't know if that's particularly his message, but he's at least, he's out there, not in the re-education camps, but in the education platform, shall we say. No, I, anyway. I like Heinberger. I like I like him. Any Anytime someone... Uh, Basically, just stays to the pure message for the most part. You know, I want people to listen to him, of course. I just don't think he's, um, well, he's certainly not electable. But since when has a libertarian ever been electable? So whatever. Yeah, not since uh, the days of Thomas Jefferson, I'd I'd say. Uh, Anyway, uh, let's get into the uh, last night's portion of the show so we can introduce our guest and get going on this movie, which I haven't even mentioned yet. We're doing gold. Matthew McConaughey, uh, gold. So it's going to be gold, Jerry. It's gold. Is it though, Daniel? Hey everyone, it's Daniel Elwood and Robert Johnson, The Last Nighters, and The Last Nighters are part of the Launchpad Media, where they're always launching new ideas in your direction. Check it out at thelaunchpadmedia.com. This is episode 107 of the show. We made it this far. They said they couldn't be done, but we're going to be talking about Matthew McConaughey's gold with Jared Wall of Breaking Liberty. Uh, you can find the show notes more at lastnighters.com slash 107. Welcome to the show, Jared. We appreciate you joining us once again. You were uh, an excellent guest on the episode for the El Camino movie, the Breaking Bad movie. You, of course do Breaking Liberty, which is a website uh, about studying Breaking Bad from a libertarian perspective. You've got several books out related to that, so you're doing great stuff over there. And while we were recording that episode, you suggested the next time you come back, which is today, uh, to do this movie Gold. So welcome to the show. Uh, Tell people where they can find your stuff and why. uh, Remind us why you suggested this movie. Uh, It's good to be back. Thanks for having me. Uh, Good to talk to you, Daniel and Robert. Um, yeah, so breakinglibertycom uh, like Daniel said, I got a couple books over there, uh, free downloads, uh, doesn't cost you anything, breakinglibertycom um, just a libertarian <clears throat> commentary on uh, one of my favorite TV shows, Breaking Bad. Uh, I had a lot of fun writing it, and I think uh, a lot of people have a lot of fun reading it, but as far as today's episode goes, Gold, uh, it was a, a pretty good movie um, that I enjoyed with Matthew McConaughey. He plays a prospector a miner who goes out in search of the mother load and he uh strikes it rich and loses it all and then gets it all back and then loses it all again and then gets some of it back again and it's a roller coaster uh but it was uh, it's a fun movie and there's a lot uh that a libertarian would talk about in there you know whether it's uh, sound money issues, whether, you know, a gold gold standard or uh, the idea of uh, government intervention and regulation, um, just all kinds of things. Uh, so it's uh, it was a fun movie to watch, and I think it'll be a fun movie for us to talk about. All right. Sounds like it's ripe for the pickings, and, and I did watch it, and I saw a lot of stuff, and they're definitely worthy of talking about. And what I tried to do in this particular instance was not overnote. Uh, apparently, some of the feedback I've gotten is that when I am ill-prepared, I say some of the best stuff. 
than as opposed to when I have like three pages of notes. So we're gonna we're gonna fly a little blind here. I I, I did watch it. I took like seven or eight notes. Hopefully that's enough to get us going. And I know Robert is gonna have tons of stuff to say. But we're gonna start off with the Google description like we always do. So Gold came out 2016. It's a drama slash crime film, two hours and one minute. 6.7 on IMDb, 43% Rotten Tomatoes, 49% Metacritic, and 83% of Google users like it. Kenny Wells, played by Matthew McConaughey, is a prospector desperate for a lucky break and teams up with a similarly eager geologist and sets off on an amazing journey to find gold in the uncharted jungles of Indonesia. Getting the gold was hard, but keeping it is even more difficult, sparking an adventure through the most powerful boardrooms of Wall Street. Came out December 30th, 2016. The director is Stephen Gagan. I'm not sure if I'm saying his name right. Uh, and it uh, did a paltry $14.9 million at the box office. Um, Robert, let's get your take on uh, the opening here. Well, I always appreciate it when a attractive person or actor uggs themselves up for a, for a role, and McConaughey seems to go the extra mile. He's one of those Christian Bale types that doesn't mind, you know, really kind of just letting his body go and wearing the bald wig and whatever just to get into that role. and. Even with all that stuff, though, I want to say that this is probably the most Matthew McConaughey that I've ever seen in a film. He really Matthew McConaughey's it up. I don't, I don't know if he's anything like the original character at all. It's really just Matthew McConaughey and kind of chubby and schlubby looking. But you know, I still, I still enjoyed his performance. He still got a lot of charisma, and the movie itself, it's ripe with all kinds of libertarian themes. I mean, you got these entrepreneurs who are trying to go out and create value in the world. And they've got, you know, all these obstacles to overcome. And they've got, you know, other people that want to come in and, you know, offer their services to help, you know, uh, push this thing or take it home. I think they call it landing the plane. They want to land this plane. You need our expertise to come help land this plane because you're out of your depth. This is too big for you. We know how to do this. And there's a whole lot of, um, you know, you got to make that calculation. Do you think you can do it? Or are you really out of your depth? Are these people adding value to this, to this process? Or can you do it yourself? I think there's a whole lot of, um, you know, it's like we've talked in the past about, you know, you could do it yourself, or you could hire somebody or you could buy a thing. It's like I bought these, these gloves, these gloves, these are not expensive gloves. I bought these gloves for $3 at Walmart, three bucks. If I would have tried to make these gloves myself, I would have had to learn how to make, you know, knit and crochet and whatever. It would have taken me a couple of days. I mean, the, the labor costs alone, it would be hundreds of dollars. Or you could just buy them at Walmart for three bucks. So, you know, he doesn't want to let it go. He thinks he's got it all and he can do it all. But it turns out he can't. And uh, but he kind of gets screwed over. I mean, we can get into it. It's it's, it's I think it's pretty fun. It really shows uh, a lot of the things that, um, you know, entrepreneur has to kind of go through to um, to run a business. But, you know, then at the end, spoiler, it was all a lie. And I think it's, it's going to be a really interesting topic to discuss if uh, he gets to keep that money at the end or not. Yeah, I think that's a pretty uh, pretty good open. What's your take on the Google description and what Robert opened with there, Jared? Uh, it's very accurate. Um, it's... Uh... There's, 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 there's so much to talk about, you know, with the, you know, revolving door between regulatory and Wall Street and for, you know, when, when Kenny Wells, when Matthew McConaughey had to take on that partnership, uh, a backdoor plan is going to call in a favor with an ex-U.S. president that sits on their board 
who happens to be friends with the president of Indonesia to basically take over this mine that Wells had built. And uh, Indonesia sends in their government and kicks them out and gives the mine to this other company. So uh, it's it's there, there's, a, there's a lot to be frustrated about from the entrepreneurial side, like Robert was saying. Um, and even right in the beginning of the movie, when they start, when, when he's partnering with uh, Acosta, the geologist, uh, and he's like, how much money do you need? What's it going to take? And he's like, listen, it's not just the land lease and it's not just the equipment. We also got to get permits. And that means we got to line some pockets, you know? So uh, it, it's just the nature of government, you know, especially when they, control land resources like that and uh just the 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 idea of you know i think i think one of the big issues in the movie uh that i took away from it was you know the the risk people like you know bernie lovers and aoc lovers love to hate on capitalists and business owners and saying you know that they just exploit labor where they don't the the risk involved with uh trying to start a business or in you know the movie's case trying to build a mine is just enormous you know he uh he had to pawn his his girlfriends or his wife's i don't think the movie ever made it clear uh his wife's gold watch um just in order to buy a plane ticket to go and try and sell acosta on the idea and um and if he had failed he would have lost everything he would have been flipping burgers or tending bar or something um so he he ended up getting really rich, uh, but there was a chance that he could have ended up really really poor. Um, so I think uh, that's something that people don't take into account a lot. And uh, it's it was it's a roller coaster of a movie. You know, I'm looking forward to seeing where we take the conversation. Yeah, these are all interesting points, and it makes me want to jump off in so many different spots already. But uh, the key thing that that I noticed with what you were saying was he was already down to like his last desperate. Uh, swing for the fences, kind of trying to get a home run with his last little bit of money because he had worked with his dad and they went up through the, um, you know, the commodities bull run in the late seventies. And then things started trailing off uh, in the early eighties. His dad ends up dying. Uh, he's kind of striking out um, in, in prospecting and mining. And so they lose most of the company. Um, so he's not being um, very effective any longer. You know, he keeps trying to push this stuff, but, no one's buying. So he's kind of on his last desperate, att desperate attempts. And then Acosta, who is like well known for this copper strike that he found. But then ever since that, which he was famous for, he had been kind of striking out. So he was also down on his luck. And so that's where, you know, McConaughey knew that he had to go over there and like swing for the fences, you know, try to get something to happen. And even that, even that desperate situation doesn't even begin to see, to show us how much further they sink in trying to find this gold. I mean, even just trekking up the river and then, you know, out to this area where Acosta thinks this, this gold is going to be found uh, is, a, is a tremendous undertaking. And then they're out there for months. They're trying to hire people after they've raised all this money. And it's not even close to the amount of money that, that Acosta said that they needed. They can't even pay the workers uh, beyond a certain point, And they keep not finding money or not finding gold and running out of money. And then McConaughey catches malaria. And so he's like in this delirium and, uh, you know, probably going to die, you know, like all, you know, if he had a magic eight ball, all, all signs point to him dying of this. And, um, you know, and then he makes a friend in Acosta and this becomes important later because all of a sudden, uh, while he's about to recover, he's, he's almost recovered from it. 
they strike gold, they find gold, um, wink, wink. And so, you know, that kind of goes back to what you were saying about how much effort and risk and struggle is being undertaken even before they get any reward whatsoever. And you're right, like the, the Bernie and AOC types and their fans don't see that at all. All they see is, hey, there's stuff over there or there's somebody who has money or has something. And if we just take it, then we'll have it too. Right. There's no thought into how it came about or how it would continue to come about uh, in, you know, going forward. Um, so it's a really short-sighted view of the world. And then the, um, you mentioned the, uh, the, the, the almost nationalization of the mine due to political back, backdoor, um, underdealing, underhanded stuff. This is the same government, Suarto, who did a coup d'etat and overtook uh, the previous regime in, I think, the 60s in Indonesia. And we did a movie a while back called The, um, the Act of Killing, which was about the enforcers for this guy who were killing all the communists or as many communists as they could. I think there were a million deaths. And what's so um, crazy about the, uh, the documentary, is just how nonchalant they are about this, because it's just they did it so much, they were totally desensitized to it. So I'll, I'll post a link to that on our show notes page, our discussion uh, on the act of killing. It's, it's a horrifying <laughs> documentary to watch. But the irony of them going after the communists and then doing a nationalization type move, which is a communist, communist move uh, that they do in this movie to, to wrestle the, uh, the permit and the mine away from McConaughey and Acosta is, is kind of crazy. Um, Robert, I'll go to you. Uh, what do you take? What, what do you think on, um, you know, the, the struggle that they went in to get it and then how the government intervened? And then we can get into like the Wall Street stuff and and the special uh, the special friendship and the corniness that was called out later. Well, it just shows you that all politicians are authoritarians, and then they will they'll gladly embrace whatever ideology helps get them elected. I, maybe there are some true Bluetooth types, like maybe I guess Bernie actually believes the crappy shilling, but I don't know. Most of them kind of just go along with whatever the polling data suggests will help them get elected, uh, which leads to uh, this kind of conglomeration of people that can't really differentiate themselves. That's why a lot of the lefties are all the same, but. In terms of the, the risk involved, like it was a huge roll of the dice to throw everything you have, go into debt, I'm sure. Well, they were eventually sharing or selling stocks on the, you know, basically on the core sample success or the, the possible success based on this guy's reputation. And, you know, they were selling shares basically on the hopes and the whims and the prayer of this thing turning out well. And it's massively risky because you've got a government there that could just swoop in and take it all away at any time. And in fact, at that one point in the film, when he's doing that deal and he doesn't want to sell because, you know, they, they take the name off the mine, which really leads me to believe that he really was a true believer. Like I, at the end of the movie, I was like, wait a minute, was he telling the truth the whole time? Was he just selling a lie this entire time? If he really didn't want to sell that mine because they were going to take his name off it, it leads me to believe that he was in the dark the whole time. Unless that was like a super orchestrated play. I, yeah, uh, uh, but it's a massive risk to, I mean, I would have just taken that guaranteed money, 100%, $300 million guaranteed, and then it becomes somebody else's problem. It, he, he had to have been a true believer, I suppose. But yeah, or, yeah. or he could have turned it more some, somewhere down the line, like kind of a pressure negotiation tactic. But, you know, this is, uh, I guess, played out in the 80s in the film, but in real life, this happened in the 90s. In, in Canada, but they repurposed the story, changed all the names, changed the country to the United States so it'd be more appealing for 
the uh, audience and whatnot. But I guess the um, the guy this is based on, he he maintained his innocence the entire time, and then ended up moving to the Bahamas, and he died a year later of an aneurysm. Um, so you can imagine, like he was probably going through a very stressful situation and ended up potentially ending his life. Uh, and I guess when he was in the Bahamas, armed men broke into his house and like demanded the money back from this fraud or this. By the way, spoilers, everyone. <laughs> This is it. It becomes uh, known that this is a fraud. This is not actually a gold mine. It's what what they called it. They called it salting. So they would yeah. sprinkle in gold dust into the core samples that would go down and be assayed uh, by an independent lab. Now that's what I didn't understand. They would send it out for assay. It's supposed to be totally protected, strict, secure protocols to confirm that this is a legitimate sample. But if it's as, as it's revealed in the film in the film if it's obviously river gold it's panned gold versus what would have been dug out of the ground by drilling don't you think that they would have noticed and they sort of play it off like oh everyone was so excited and caught up in the hype and the hysteria but the assay lab is not supposed to was not like privy to the hype you know what i mean like their job is to do one thing and one thing only and that's to verify that these are legitimate samples that are you know, consistent with where they were claimed to have been found. Do you know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. Unless this is some sort of uh, rating agency, Wall Street rating agency situation where there's just like the two of them and they and the whole bunch of crap got AAA rated. Remember that? I don't know. If this is some sort of rating agency, some kind of independent lab in the Indonesia, which you would think their reputation is staked upon, you know, their findings. So they end up looking really stupid when uh, this all comes out. So it's a big blow to their reputation. So yeah, I, I don't, I don't remember this story from the '90s. But if this is as true as depicted in the film, although I doubt that that check at the end was real. I just can't imagine. I mean, how would would he have told anybody about that unless it came out in the news somehow that he had a big chunk of cash at the end? Well, I think there was he, a lot of creative license in this. But but you actually bring up a, an interesting point that we need to kind of back up for a second. When Acosta and McConaughey discover the gold or agree to go in and search for it. They do almost this handshake deal back of the napkin and literally back of the napkin. Yeah. And McConaughey or what's his name? Kenny has him sign it. And then he says, all right, you hang on to this. And it basically says 50, 50 split. And then when he gets the check at the end, after the guy allegedly gets murdered, <laughs> uh, Pinochet style out of a helicopter, um, there's that contract sent back to him along with this deposit slip for a bank of Gibraltar for half of the, missing money, the 168 million or whatever it was, 162 million. So like 80 million bucks um, deposited in this account and he gives him back the contract. So the contract plays a pivotal role <laughs> in the story, at least in the-, uh, the As presented, if we dream. are to believe it, yes. Yeah, and it just shows you, yeah, uh, contracts are valid and it's nice to see people uh, going through on their contracts. I, I like it, even though it's all fraudulent. I mean, yeah. it's, it's all based on fraud. So is that contract valid? It's all predicated on fraud. I, I, in in watching this, and well, Jared, I'll get your opinion on this. I felt like there was, at the time of signing this contract, they both believed they were going to find gold in this area, and they were on the up and up. They were like, "We think this is a good spot. We're going to look. We're going to agree to split the proceeds 50-50. And it's only after McConaughey is like down to his last dimes, says, "Hey, put put the last whatever you need on this credit card." Um, go do what you need to get the workers to come back because they were not able to pay them anymore. And so what Acosta did was he took the, the credit cards and bought um, water filters because the, the people in the area 
uh, were like Flint, Michigan, didn't have clean water. And so their kids were getting sick and all this stuff. Meanwhile, these people are also panning for gold. It's like the Golden River or whatever the, you know, their, the Indonesian name of it was. It, it translated to Gold River or Golden River. And so they were finding gold in the river. And apparently that's where Akasa got the gold to salt the core samples with by exchanging, by providing water. And this was another angle I wanted to go with. He's out there helping people. He's providing a valuable needed service of clean water for these people who are living in this area. They don't have it otherwise making their lives better, making the health of their kids better. But I think it was only because he felt sorry for McConaughey's character who was dying of malaria and down to his last times and giving it to him. He had to come up with something to, I don't know, like make things better than they were. You know what I mean? Like, I, 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 I think originally when the contract was signed, he did not intend to defraud anybody. But it was only when he was like desperate. He was like, all right, I, I'm going to, I guess, say, hey, we found gold. And then he just, the lie carried forward and carried forward. And I, I think the Kenny character was in the dark on that the whole time. Uh, but he's the one who got caught up in the hysteria, right? He's the one who like ignored certain red flags or certain warning signs because he wanted to ride that wave. So Jerry, right. what's, what's your take on that? Yeah, I think you bring up a lot of good points, especially, I mean, I want to talk about the workers, you know, the people that they brought in to, to, to do the mine. And there's a, a flashback at one point showing the Acosta mine when he struck that big copper, that big copper strike. And it just shows hundreds and hundreds of people working on that mine. And uh, all those people were, you know, similar to the people we saw working on their gold mine later on, living in huts, you know, my, my, panning the river for gold, you know, for a little something here and there. Uh, but they really don't have anything until, you know, this, the capital gets brought in. Uh, and, and then it also shows the, 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 the freedom that workers have when they stopped getting paid, when Wells and Acosta ran out of money, they just walked away. You know, they, they, they were like, okay, well, this is a waste of our time. We can do better things over here. And uh, it took Acosta going and getting them the, the water filters to, to bring them back. And I think you're, I think you're, 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 you know, that's when, when, when Wells is getting interviewed by the FBI at the, you know, kind of throughout the movie, but then you kind of really figure out what's going on at the end of the movie. He says that he's like, he was, he woke up from his malaria and Acosta's saying, Hey, I'm not finding anything. I'm going to pull the plug. And he was like, no, you can't let me die out here for nothing here. Take these two credit cards I have left. There's 2,300 bucks on them. Do whatever you got to do. And, uh, and Acosta has pity on him. And then, you know, two weeks later or however long later, whenever Wells actually wakes up from his malarial coma and Acosta kind of listens to him and is like, Hey, we are finding an eighth of an ounce per ton of soil. And then that, that celebration that, you know, I, I can't imagine <laughs> striking gold like that, that euphoria just has to be on a totally another level. And I think the acting at that particular point was really well done by both of them. Um, you know, Wells because he actually thinks he brought struck gold and Acosta because he knows that they didn't actually strike gold, but wants Acosta to think they did, uh, or wants Wells to think they did. Um, very fascinating. And, uh, and then, yeah, I don't, they, they leave it pretty ambiguous as to how exactly they, they pulled the wool over everybody's eyes as far as, thinking that this river gold was actual gold and how they thought that this mine was producing gold when there was really nothing there at all. And, you know, their stock goes from four cents of share or nothing per share up to, I think, I don't know, I think I saw in the movie up to like $70 per share. So it's just a, a skyrocketing valuation. 
and it's similar to the the Brie X. That's the the, the Canada company that you're talking about. This movie's loosely based on. It went from a penny stock to worth over two hundred and eighty dollars at some point. Imagine buying into that company when it's worth pennies, and then selling it when it's worth two hundred and eighty dollars. You're just gonna you're gonna ride that wave as as uh, as McConaughey as as Wells did in right. the movie. And and he um, that's that's um, another key point. He had told one of his coworkers, "Hey, don't keep all this stock. Sell some of it. Put some of it away because it it has gone from pennies to hundreds of dollars. Sell some of it so that you've got this nest egg." But of course, it's revealed that he doesn't do that, and he loses everything. He loses everything. Yeah. Yeah. So take some of your wins. Take some of your money off the table when, when you do well. All right, everyone. <laughs> this is not. I'm not a licensed uh, financial advisor, but I'm just saying in the movie he makes a good point, and the guy disregards that advice. Um, and next time you're at the blackjack table and you're up a hundred dollars, put some of it in your pocket and then play. Sound advice. Uh, and always <laughs> double down on a look. <laughs> All right. So I want to interject one thing related to the the water filters. And this is kind of a key point. Um, those people were panning for gold and finding gold, but they lived in this very remote area and had very little awareness of the outside civilization. So it, it shows you the power of advertising or information contained within individuals who are knowledgeable about stuff. Like only because these two prospectors were in that area even knew about water filters and knew that water filters could be purchased and brought there to solve this problem these people were having. They weren't even aware that there was a solution to have, even though they could have afforded it. So it just shows you that advertising or specialized knowledge can have a very powerful and profound impact on people's lives, even in life or death situations. Yeah. And that's also, you know, kind of going back to the risk that entrepreneurs take, you know, he, they're doing that and providing all that stuff for them and providing jobs and providing water filters before they had made any money. So these, the lives of the local people had improved before anything happened, before they struggled. Um, and that's, you know, that's similar to anybody who's trying to start a business. Uh, you know, if, if you, if you're building a, an apartment complex or something like that, all of the construction workers get paid and then, you know, it's, it takes say eight to 10 years before you recoup your investment. But in that eight to 10 years, you're providing housing, you're providing jobs, you're providing, you know, maintenance employees to, to, to do their st stuff. You got to hire people to, um, you know, come fix water, water pipes when they burst and things like that. And the initial investor, the capitalist, the hated capitalist doesn't make any money, doesn't even break even until eight to 10 years later. Uh, and the, the locals in this movie were way up before anything happened. Right, right. And this is why, um, when people talk about like people don't get the full value of their labor, well, that's because they want to be paid now or consistently, not wait five, 10, however long years before the thing would actually be profitable. And they're, they're also not going to assume any of the loss if it never becomes profitable. So that's why people's wages aren't going to be the full value of whatever they've allegedly created. And that doesn't even count any of the fact of the capital that, or the equipment that is required to make them that productive. Right. And the risk involved. They're not assuming hardly any of the risk that the capital is. Yeah. Or sure. the time value of the money. Right. Sure. Because the workers want to be paid every two weeks or every month or whatever it is. And if, if the capitalist who, you know, ends up, nobody wants to buy that thing. Nobody wants to buy that apartment complex or live in that apartment complex or buy that widget. Uh, and it has to end up at the grocery outlet or, you know, some liquidator and they're just going to lose their ass on it. Um, the workers still got paid and they don't have to return that money. So anyway, I'm, I'm totally veering off <laughs> into other areas here. Uh, Robert, I know you got something fired up. Well, I was just curious. I mean, I want to get into some later stuff, but let's not do that just yet. I wanted to ask Jared if he saw Acosta like you see him, Daniel, as this, you know, good guy who just kind of gets caught up trying to do a good thing for this new friend of his. 
and then the lie kind of spirals out of control and it gets really big. And I mean, at what point do you pull the plug at, you know, and eventually he does, of course. And then I mean, do you see him as a, a good guy or do you see him as like a fraudster from the beginning? Uh, I, I, I kind of saw him the same way Daniel did. Uh, and, you know, the same way that Wells saw him because you know, he, when he's getting interviewed by the FBI, he's trying to explain, you know, he was he was trying to uh, I think Wells says he was trying to buy time. Uh, all he, he needed some more time to to keep digging because he really felt the gold was there, but he hadn't found it yet. But they were out of money, so why don't we just say we found gold and that'll help us raise more money, and then I'll have more time to keep looking for the gold, and then it'll actually show up, uh, which it never did. Um, but yeah, I don't know if he was a shyster. I mean, obviously he turned into a shyster, and the fact that he didn't fess up after it, he he let it blow up into these epic proportions. Uh, without saying anything um, and he it came out that he was you know when it got to that point when it was trading at you know some hyperinflated value the, you know the stock shares were trading at some hyperinflated value he had sold off a bunch of his shares that's how he ended up with that 160 some odd million that he took off with so he got right. really Shell rich corporations yeah right he got really rich like off of his initial lie uh and was cool with it and so you know that's kind of a slimy thing to do for sure, but I think initially he did it for the, you know good reasons, if you can say it that way. He was trying to help a friend. He he had come to care about Wells, and Wells probably was gonna look was looking like he was gonna die there. And Wells said to him, "Don't let me die out here for nothing." And you know, in a in a land like Indonesia, you know, or for a guy who has Acosta's type of background, he uh, he wanted to make do on that that promise that he did make to him. You know, while he was basically on his deathbed. But then he took it too far, for sure. I can't imagine that he had masterminded this whole scheme ahead of time. I think it just, a series of events kept building and building, and then he had this opportunity and he took it. At least that that would be my take on it. Um, Because they said that also, this was after Suarto's government took the mine over, and then they befriend his idiot son, which Mm -hmm. was actually another angle we could talk about. the uh, What's that called? The nepotism and the um, Mm -hmm. cronyism. But then they appeal to his senses about women and fast cars and Cadillacs and whatnot. Uh, they end up getting just 15% of the value of the mine back. And even um, Acosta is selling all of those shares that he owned of the 15% and his, his half or whatever was still 168 million. But they said that also Danny, the Suarto guy, sold all of his shares as well, or a bunch of his shares. So the Indonesian government made a shit ton of money as a result of this fraud as well. But wouldn't well, Suharto did. Right. Suharto's yeah. not necessarily the, that money's staying with the family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the Indonesian guy, the government. Yeah, took to, or the Suharto guy took all that money. Yeah. Um, but wouldn't wouldn't that affect the share price? It didn't seem to, in at least how it was portrayed in the movie. Like, oh, these insiders sold all these shares, these big players. Wouldn't that depress the price because there's a bunch more available? Like you would you think, would think that, that that the stock would drop. I mean, anytime there's a big time sell-off, yeah, the, the price goes down. If there's any, anytime there's more people selling or more sh- shares available to be bought than sold. I mean, if Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd taught me anything about futures in orange juice, you know, there's big swings when when somebody sells off a bunch of stuff. That's right. No, you're right. If, if, if that last scene in, in that movie is to be treated in trading spaces is to be believed. But so anyway, you guys, need, we need to answer this question. And I think it's probably the most interesting question of the whole film. When he gets that check for $82 million, does he deserve that money? Does he deserve to keep that money? Or does he have to, should he give it back to the investors? 
Now, when the investors are you know, buying shares of stock in this company, it's not a guaranteed return, right? It's, it's a risk. It's a gamble. You're not owed anything. You're, you're, you're assuming, you're looking at what's being said, what's being reported, and then making a valuation determination based on that, how much you want to invest and how, how high you think it's going to go, what do you think it's really worth. If you think you can buy it now when it's undervalued, you're going to buy and then sell when it's overvalued, right? You're going to make those calculations, but you're not necessarily owed any value. You are essentially gambling. So I, I find it super hard to say that, well, all the investors should get all their money back. But at the same time, I also say, well, you, you totally did that. You earned all that money based on fraud. So you don't deserve to keep it either. So I don't know. What is the uh, proper libertarian answer to this one, Daniel? Well, I'll take a swing and then, and then I'll go to Jared with the same question. But my, my swing would be, well, they're providing fraudulent data. So they're lying to the people who are making the decision to invest or not. And so they are, in effect, not being forthright. And so any, I, I think anyone who invests based on lies and, and misinformation has, a, has standing in, in you know, some kind of demonstrated loss. Okay. So I, think, I think in an ANCAP society, you would have some repercussions from that. There'd be an arbitration or some kind of you know, dispute resolution that would happen as a result. Uh, Jared, your take. Uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I just, I don't know what the, what the solution is though. Cause you know, there's, you're correct in that if somebody was investing based on lies, then they deserve something back. But you know, that, the, the, that, that company ended up being worth about $30 billion, you know, so all the shares, how, you know, however many shares there were divided by $30 billion, they weren't going to make everybody whole by any means with 160 million, you know, 162 million is not 30 billion by any means. So they weren't going to become whole. Uh, it wasn't going to adequately, you know, so, so would it go even further than that? Would it go, you know, if he, if he said, okay, split up this 80 million amongst the investors who invested based on lies, well, it doesn't even come close to making up what they invested. Is he, should he be forced into some kind of private prison and have his go towards trying to make these people whole? Uh, uh, um, I guess kind of more of just like, a, what's he going to do with, I mean, he's the, 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 they're, they're trying to see if he profited from this fraud. And if he, then uh, obviously you, you just profit. But if, if it was if I, if it was me in that situation, I would just frame it and put it on the wall and have it be as a souvenir. And hey, that was a fun ride. Now I got to get on with the rest of my life. I like both of your answers. I like I like I like it a lot. I think those are good, strong answers. I just I worry a little bit that when we start saying what fraud is and what isn't, because anytime you're an investor investing in any kind of company, all the numbers are essentially cooked to be the best looking numbers. All, all companies operate with a certain level of, uh, I don't know if you want to say like misinformation or like secrecy. Massaging the numbers, so, like lying. With yeah, you massage the numbers, you make everything look good. You talk about how, how rosy your projections are going to be for the next quarter, how those are always going to be great. You're always, you're always dealing with a certain level of misinformation and imperfect information, right? Like, so as an investor, you're never going to know every single thing about a company. That's just not yeah. possible. Even if everything was above board, you could never possibly know everything. Right. So there's always a certain level of fraud. So, I mean, anytime your stocks lose money, are you owed? 
because there's always fraud. There's always lies. I, 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 I see your point in that this was based entirely on fraud. And I think that when people invent entire companies out of thin air, yeah, I, I would say that the investors were duped and were just deserved some of their monies back. But I also don't want to go to the point where you're like, anytime a company loses money, you get your money back. Um, anytime you lose money, you get your money back. There is risk in investing. There's risk in life. And it's a, it's kind of a lesson to be learned. I mean, the people that put all their money in one stock, are you insane? What is wrong with you? You lose your life savings in one stock? Who puts all their eggs in one basket? I don't care how good the projections are. That's just, right. that's just a life lesson right there. All right. So I have a bit of a um, talking out of my ass point to make here. Do it. But I think that absent regulation, that there would be standards of the you know, level of information and accuracy of information that would win out in the marketplace. And those who are better forecasters or better reporters of their information would win out. But when regulations are imposed and certain reporting requirements, um, if you've ever read a 10K or an annual report, you'll see all of these things that are required to be in there where they have to say, here's all the risks involved. You know, there might be a tsunami tomorrow or there you know, there's other competitors in the landscape. They have to actually like spell all this out due to regulations. And I think that that is what induces these companies to look for loopholes or other ways to massage numbers. Like we saw it with the WorldCom, the MCI stuff and Enron. They were cooking the books in certain ways or they'll um, like, I forget the pr proper term for this, but they would somehow do some um, shady maneuver in their bookkeeping so that on the day of reporting, it would appear much more uh, better, like a much better position than the reality, because the day after that reporting number snapshot is taken, then they'd move everything back to where it was. And it would, if people were aware of it, it would have been like, oh, they're, they're in a precarious position here. They're actually doing shitty. But I think that they're kind of, because of all these regulations, it throws off what would otherwise have been more accurate information. You know what I'm saying? And, and this might not be making a whole lot of sense because I'm, I'm not too clear on this stuff. This is not my expertise by any stretch. Uh, but final point related to this is this Bria X situation with gold miners and, and mining companies in Canada as a result of this is when Canada decided, oh, we must impose regulations on the mining industry to protect investors and consumers. They didn't exist uh, as a regulated um, body of industry until after this event. So anyone can pick up from there. Tell me I'm full of shit, but I, I think I'm kind of onto something. I, th I think that by imposing government regulations, it forces the hand of government or of, of the businesses, and it, it, it muddies the waters of the information, and it, it incentivizes um, finding ways to maneuver and manipulate the numbers in certain ways to uh, try to meet the letter of the law, but it causes hazard, causes problems. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'm skeptical that they the mining industry actually wasn't regulated prior to this event, though. I think a lot of, a lot of times politicians will create a law that's a stupid law that creates a lot of problems. And then, you know, like when the housing bubble happened, they're like, oh, look at this. This is terrible. What we needed was more regulation. There's this due to, uh, what was it? The, the What was the fucking thing that they took away? Glass-Steagall? Yeah. That allowed them to do all this crap and whatever. Anyway. That's, that's what gets blamed, but has very little to do with it, as Tom Woods talks about in his book, Meltdown. Anyway, they always blame lack of regulation when it's almost always the regulations. So I think you're making a good point there. Dan. Yeah, right. I think uh, if 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 there was no government, and, because all these uh, Wall Street companies and big banks and financial operations and conglomerates, they're 
heavily, heavily regulated with the government to the point where they're almost another arm of the government. So, uh, you know, if, if all of that didn't exist and this situation arose where, hey, these guys are saying they found millions of ounces of gold over in Indonesia, then the financial companies, if they were operating in a free market, would, before they invest, they would probably send, do a very, very, very thorough investigation before they put hundreds of millions of dollars into something. Uh, that's, you know, I don't see how they would. And so they kind of show that they looked at it a little bit, but they sent three guys over there and they took them out into the river and they panned for gold and they found one nugget of gold in the river and that got them all excited and sold them on the idea that, okay, I guess this is legit. Let's, let's do it. You know, that, um, one, that made me think, and mine, pan for gold here, guys. Yeah, I don't know how panning for gold convinces them that the mine is full of gold. Uh, it's got to come from somewhere. Yeah, exactly. It unless comes from were, somewhere, sure, were panning, but it doesn't necessarily need to come from that spot. Unless they were panning stuff that they had pulled out of the mine and they were panning that soil specifically. Uh, um, but then, you know, th they show later, you know, the difference between river gold and rock gold. You know, river gold is very rounded. It's been eroded away so that it's you know nice and smooth rock gold is you know very uh coarse and edgy the nugget that they pull out of that pan is very rounded you know the, the nugget that they show them um so yeah it's 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 very ambiguous in the movie how they got away with it and in what i was reading about you know the actual story in canada they don't really go into a whole lot of details as to how they got away with it other than saying that they salted the core samples um I do. I think it's funny. Uh, I was, you know, I was reading about what happened up in Canada and some of the biggest people who lost, some of the biggest investors who lost money in that fraud were the Ontario Municipal Employees Retirement Board, uh, the Ontario Teachers Pension, the Quebec Sector Pension Fund. So all of these government unions and government, they were the ones who put all their money into, put all their eggs in one basket, so to speak. And they were the ones who got burned. Um, very, very interesting to me. And kind of, you know, we all know, uh, or I guess us libertarians know how underfunded these pension funds all over the country are to the tune of hundreds of trillions of dollars or whatever it is, whatever the crazy number is. And uh, can't help but think that decisions like this, along with a whole bunch of other stuff, is uh, possibly a reason why that is. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. And I actually read read that as well and wanted to bring that up that that Really, if those were the biggest losers, then you know, yeah, <laughs> I don't feel so bad. <laughs> is is that wrong? Is that wrong? <laughs> but uh, you know, you would also think that that the curators or custodians of those funds making these decisions would be like, hey, we're going to put these into safer investments, not this risky, you know, mining stuff, not this penny stock. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I don't you know. You would think. Yeah, and it, it wasn't like the individual people making these decisions. You know, the people who like it was their pension money that two percent of their money went in every every month or whatever. It was it was the people scraping the you know the commissions off the top and making these poor decisions. I have a question for you guys. Uh, I want to change the subject a little bit, if that's okay. It certainly is. Uh, uh, we are going to need to um, start to wind down the the show in a little bit, though. Uh, yeah, I got to go to bed soon too. So, <laughs> but so us as libertarians and you know, Rothbardians and Austrians and whatnot, 
you know, we are not fans of fiat money and we're, we would much prefer going to a gold and the silver standard and having gold and silver be money. Does this movie, in your opinion, uh, give any, um, uh, does it explain at all why we think that gold actually has value and has more staying power as a money than paper, than, you know, than, than the system that we have currently? Uh, go for it, Robert, and I'll Well, check. I don't know if this movie does a good job. I mean, it, it basically depicts a couple of fraudsters mining for gold. Um, I don't know if it does a really good job. I mean, it, it talks about how how valuable it is and the, and the effort required to get it out of the ground and that it's actually a, a tangible asset. Um, there is one line that McConaughey, McConaughey says towards the end of the movie, almost at the exact end of the movie, is the... As the interview is wrapping up, he says, I don't care about money. I care about gold. And it's different. Now, I don't know if he's making a, you know, the argument that, you know, fiat dollars aren't, you know, the same as this hard gold asset. But he seems to be making some sort of a value judgment there. I, I don't think he's actually making a, you know, a fractional reserve banking thing or a fiat dollar argument. But I do appreciate that you know, as a Rothbardian, as an, an Austrian, I do appreciate that he is talking about an actual physical asset as opposed to some fiat thing that's just pumped up. But then, then again, the whole movie is about this company that was just artificially inflated. So, eh. yeah, that's a good point. They were they were running the theoretical printing presses with over over uh, estimating how much gold they had found or fraudulently saying how much gold they had found. Yeah, to Robert's point, I, I think that they don't really get into it too much other than showing how difficult it is to find gold and mine it in any uh, significant way so that, um, you know, it's not like you can just print more dollars or enter more digits as they do now um, in, you know, the central bank's coffers. So in, in that in that way, there is a um, there is a relationship between in a free market, you would invest the capital to consume or to extract gold based on market conditions. So if more gold was needed, then more resources would be taken from other things and and um, used to search out for gold so that the money supply or the gold supply would be somewhat a reflection of the overall capacity of the economy. If you follow what I'm saying, like like it, it would be balanced out between, like ev everything needs to be directed in, in some field, some, some, some productive capacity. And so to increase gold production, you would need to decrease in other areas. And so in, in that way, it's like a proxy for how well things are doing. Um, Rothbard's got a bunch of books related to this. One of the short books is really highly recommended to read. It kind of gets into this and then also the perversion of money away from gold towards currency and fiat currency is what has government done to our money. So I'll put that on our show notes page. It's a, it's a short read, probably a couple hours if that. And uh, it's got some really interesting history in it. Um, but that that's kind of my take on it. I, I, I think it's just it's nice to hear him talk about the, the tangible natures of gold. And I mean, if you hold a gold coin in your hand, you do feel something, at least I did. And so I, I'm, I'm a fan, but I don't think you really got into the nuance and the weeds of why it's, you know, an argument for the gold standard or anything like that. And, and I would say one other thing, Jared, to your comment where you're saying that we would favor a gold standard or a silver standard. I think that's just um, shorthand for a market-based so, uh, market currency or competing currency that historically gold and silver have won out. We're not saying that we want the government to enforce gold or silver or gold and silver being money. Yeah, thanks for clarifying that for sure. Um, I, th I think I guess the you know mostly what I, I I saw in the movie was that it showed 
how difficult it is to, you know, if, if gold becomes the money or, you know, whatever it is, become whatever precious metal becomes the money, how difficult it is to add to the supply of money. And as, you know, as we, as the Austrian uh, theory of the business cycle goes, it's the inflation of the money supplies, what causes the booms and the busts, how difficult that would be in, you know, if you have to dig it up out of the earth, as opposed to turning on a printing press or, opposed to pressing a couple of buttons on a, a computer keyboard. Right. And Absolutely. think of all the wars that couldn't happen or all of the, you know, the taxes that would, it would be different. You know, it, it would definitely change a lot of things. It'd be a, a big restraint on government. And that's of course why it's not possible. And and that's another thing I wanted to bring up um, related to this movie real quickly is it was illegal for you or me to own gold in the United States from 1933 until 1986, I think. Right. Was it that long? I think that the, the U.S. Gold Coinage Act was passed in 1986, and that was the first year that the American Eagle was made. Um, wow. It might have been like made not illegal maybe in the 70s or something like that, like that commodities run up during the inflationary times. But that's when um, gold-minted coins became a thing again, was I think in 1986. But there was a period of time, many decades, where even owning gold was illegal. Yeah, I knew FDR had passed that law and was... Confiscating or having people turn in their gold for a while, but then it was it was Nixon, I think, that finally completely closed the gold window. So dollars were at least maybe on the central bank level were convertible into gold. I guess maybe it didn't it was still wasn't legal at the individual level. Uh, right? Yeah, but, it was yeah. it was um, international. So like we would have France's gold, and they could redeem it for thirty five dollars an ounce. And because of the guns and butter programs of the 60s and 70s with Johnson and Nixon, de Gaulle and other uh, leaders started saying, well, okay, start giving us our gold back. Here's 35 bucks. Here's 35 bucks. Here's 35 bucks. And before you knew it, um, they were kind of running low on gold. And so Nixon, August 15th, 71, said, all right, I'm closing the gold window. We're going to a fiat standard. We're all Keynesians now. This is after, of course, he did all these um, price controls. And he was supposedly the... Uh, the free market Republican when he was running for running for office, but he was the one who imposed price controls. And there's a great lecture. I'll post a link to it, <laughs> but it's where Rothbard says he's hopping mad. It's about price controls. Super funny. Good stuff. Cool. All right. Well, um, I think we're at a point where we can talk about uh, any final notes and then summary review score out of one to 10 decimal point deep. Uh, Robert, you got any, any final notes or you want to kick us off here? Well, this movie reminds me of another gold mining movie. Um, I don't know if anybody else has seen it. It's an old movie starring Humphrey Bogart, called The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. And it's the movie that gave us the famous badges? We don't need no stinking badges? line that was made fun of in um, Blazing Saddles. But in that film, and the reason I think remember it, is because when I originally saw it, this is a long time ago, the prospector, there's an old time, he's talking about the value of the gold, and why gold is so valuable. And at the time, it made sense to me, back when I didn't know anything. But he says... The gold is valuable because it takes so long to dig it up. And there's a whole lot of effort involved to dig it up. Basically, he's talking about the labor theory of value. And uh, I don't know if it's a good movie. I don't remember it being a good movie. But I, that line has stuck with me because I'm like, yeah, it made sense at the time. Uh, humans, it takes a lot of effort. A lot of, you know, it's required to get dig gold up. But of course, that's not what gives gold its value. It gets gold its value because of its desirability, its use as a tradable commodity, as a money. As dental fillings. Yeah, dental fillings, of course. The jewelry, as adornment. Yeah, and it's all a, those reasons. And it's not that the human labor went into it to get the gold that imbued it with the value. It's because it was valuable 
somebody was willing to invest the time and effort to get it. Indeedly do. But this film, uh, Gold, yeah, it, it was really good. I, saw, I read one review that said, you know, this is a good movie, but not a lot happens in it. And then watching, I'm like, what are you talking about? He gains a fortune, he loses it. He gains a fortune, he loses it. He gains a fortune. All kinds of crap is going on in this film, and it's all quite engaging. Um, I don't know how accurate the film is, but it does it tell us a good story, in my opinion. It shows a lot of the dangers involved for uh, entrepreneurs, maybe more than most entrepreneurs. I mean, not everybody's going to Indonesia and has to deal with the Indonesian government in order to run a business. But I mean, there's probably just as much, if not more, regulation here in the United States than there is in Indonesia. I mean, Suharto's government's probably a little more murderous than most. Um, since, you know, we did do that act of killing movie, it's pretty brutal how many people he murdered, but, uh, no, I thought this was a really good film. Um, I don't, what would I rate it? Like a 7.5? Yeah. I mean, it's not perfect, but I, I can't really think of a whole lot of flaws. I, I, I thought it was uh, quite solid entertainment. All right. Well, well, very good, Robert. I'm going to tend to agree with you for the most part, though. I did think that it was a bit confusing with some of the stuff that was going on. Um, I think that was just with the timing and the narrative. They were trying to starting to introduce the FBI interviews. And so I was a little bit confused when those started coming in, like, okay, where are we in the timeline here? Clearly this is after events have happened. So it seemed to jump around a little bit. Then I think there was maybe a bit of the um, shop talk or, or nomenclature that people might not be familiar with. Like Jared, you brought up, like they said, Oh, they found an eighth of ounce of an ounce per ton. Well, to the layperson, what does that even mean? I mean, I look at a, you know, an ounce, I know what an ounce of gold is, but an eighth of an ounce. So that's eight tons of material. That sounds like a shit ton to have to go through to get just an ounce and to equate that to value, uh, to make it worth the effort is, is, I don't know, just a little bit kind of hard to conceive of. But, uh, for the most part, I mean, McConaughey's McConaughey, he, he does his Christian Bale, you know, body transformation. He's got this big beer belly. He's got the, the bald wig and all this stuff. But uh, he, he does a great job. I like the Acosta character, the guy who played him. Um, and oh, I, I wanted to ask if you guys had thought about the um, whether his helicopter adventure was him actually being murdered by the government or if it was a uh, faked death suicide type thing so that he could abscond with the money. Um, yeah, I mean, with the, the with the fact that the Suharto's son was selling off his stock beforehand, that had to be a fake thing. I mean, it, it just doesn't. I could see someone killing somebody, but it seemed like he had involved those people and at least let enough of them know to, to profit off the whole situation that he had a pass from there, I'm sure. Right. And, and and the body, like the face and the hands were eaten by pigs. And I guess the um, genitalia was cut off, severed. So who who knows? But it's so who like was it? A, a fake pre DNA. So, yeah, it's, it does seem like a fake your death situation, though. Like if, if you wanted to get away with it what better way than to be dead. But um, yeah. overall, I, I think it was a really good movie. Uh, just a little bit kind of lost me in some spots. It did seem a little bit slow despite a whole bunch of stuff happening, but I do love McConaughey as an actor. And um, for the most part, it was, it was pretty good. So I'm going to go with a seven on this. So Jared, we'll go to you. Yeah. I, uh, you guys both said some, some really good stuff. Yeah. I, I want to pick on the, the Bernie and the, uh, the AOC people a little bit more. I want, you know, there's uh uh, so, so we touched on Wells inherited that company from his dad who had inherited it from his grandfather. And a lot of people would say, oh, so that's why we need an inheritance tax because he has an unfair advantage. Uh, and I just, uh, you know, the, it show, you know, with the fact that Wells had basically, I don't 
know if he had run it into the ground or it was just the market had failed and caused the company to become, you know, to lose value. But uh, the idea that because you've inherited something that you're somehow in an unfair situation and you owe something to somebody else, um, I have never really bought into. Uh, I think that's uh, really dangerous uh, of an idea. So I just wanted to to throw that out there really quick. But as far as the movie goes, I'm with you guys. I, I've, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it the first time I watched it and I, I enjoyed it uh, again, you know, the second time that I went and watched it through for, for, for this, for this podcast. Um, I loved the acting. Uh, I thought the story was entertaining. I really liked the music in the movie. I thought the score was excellent. Uh, I would, I'll, I'll, I'll go with Robert. I'm going to give it a seven and a half. All right. Pretty solid outing yeah. for everyone here. So thank you for that. Well, Jared, it's been a, a pleasure having you on. And I think we've uh, talked about having you on again rather soon. Um, and it's a movie that Robert had brought up recently and he wanted to do. And so I mentioned that movie too. And you're like, I want to do that. So Captain Phillips will be, yeah. the you are on for, and that will be a special Valentine's episode it'll come out right around or on valentine's day whatever the calendar says so we'll nice. be we'll have you back in just a few short weeks uh, but prior to that we're going to be doing a couple of other episodes with other guests and the next one is going to be leaf of faith the netflix documentary about this plant derivative uh, product called kratom or kratom and uh, the guy we're having on is john bush he uh, is i believe his company's called brave botanicals he's been on the tom wood show recently talking about Kratom and, and how the FDA and the government tries to uh, shut it down and what the positive effects of it can be. Um, so he will have plenty to discuss on this, um, on this documentary. He's actually screened it for people and then had, I think, Q&A afterwards. So it should be a really, really interesting discussion. So I'm looking forward to that, as well as your next appearance with us, Jared, for uh, Captain Phillips in just a few weeks from now. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Um, there's a, so the the Somali pirates and just that whole region of the world um, has a particularly close uh, meaning to me in my personal life. Uh, so I've taken a big interest in, in uh, Somalia and East Africa. Um, and so I'm excited to talk about that. All right. We're looking forward to that as well. And uh, if you can stick around for just a bit longer, I know, I know you're uh, getting ready to go to bed because it is a Thursday night and you're late on the East Coast. But we do have uh, a thing available for our Patreon supporters that we call Kathleen Turner Overdrive which is a little bit of bonus content for everyone. So anyone who wants a piece of that, get us at uh, lastnarrows.com slash Patreon. You can donate some dollars this way and we will give you special access VIP passes to all the good stuff. Um, and we look forward to having you guys for that. Uh, so this has been episode 107 of the show, lastnarrows.com slash 107. It can also be found on The Launchpad Media where they're always launching new ideas in your direction. Check out thelaunchpadmedia.com and we will say good night from last night, everyone. All right. I know I mentioned Kathleen Turner override, but there's actually the, the final moments of the actual Anarchy podcast before we get into that. And I always like try to save a question or two uh, for this. And, and then I don't know if we're going to do a whole bunch of Kathleen Turner override because it is it is late for you. But my question is, what did you guys think about when McConaughey goes to his dad's old buddy and is supposed to have a meeting with him? And instead, he gets sloughed off to his cronies and they're just like giving him this, you know, bullshit answer like they don't want to invest in him he was supposed to meet with the dad's buddy and so they kind of treat him like shit and then later on when he's got this big find 
well, of course you can meet with the boss man. And uh, he makes um, one of those guys his bitch, which I thought was, you know, turnabout's fair play. Uh, it was kind of kind of a fun little note. And, and it, it reminds me of like, you know, judge a book by its cover. You always hear these stories about people like going into some fancy place, uh, like a car dealership or a restaurant, like kind of looking disheveled and the salesperson treats them like crap. And it turns out that, uh, you know, they pissed off. And so they go across the street and buy the thing from, from someone over there. It was nice. I think, um, our buddy Scott, who was on for enemy at the gates was telling us that I think it's a pre-show content. There was some woman in Houston who was filthy rich and she kind of just kind of lived, you know, she, a little bit disheveled. And so she would go and look at like these, uh, super expensive RVs. And because of her appearance, people were like, uh, she's not going to buy anything. Maybe you shouldn't look at this or whatever. And then she just went and bought one across the street. Uh, just kind of give them a little bit of a dig. So that reminded me of of that situation. Um, Robert, am I speaking your language here? You know what I'm talking about? I'm picking up what you're putting down. It turns out that those guys were vindicated in the end, though. They're like, yeah, it turns out you can judge a book by its cover. This guy was full of shit the whole time. This guy, you're telling me that this guy who's failed at everything in his life all of a sudden struck a rich and found the biggest gold mine in the history of the planet? Yeah, right. No, thank you, sir. We're not going to invest in this one. Well, he was all trying right. to get them invest to invest in something before he went to Indonesia, he was trying to get them to invest just in Washoe in general before that whole mo the gold mine in Indonesia oh. was found. Right? Am I, am right. I no, you're right. You're right, Jared. I'm wrong. Yeah, it was a, it was a, a short term um, claim that he had up in Canada, I think. And, and their big pushback was like, you only have this for 60 or 90 days. So the likelihood of you actually finding anything in that short period of time is really low. Yeah, and I don't think he, uh, you know, when he went back after he struck gold in Indonesia, I don't think he made that dude his bitch, so to speak. I think he found loyalty and, you know, he thought he sent the guy out to get him some more coffee. And when he came back, he was like, I want you to be my right hand man. I want you to, I think the exact words are like ride shotgun in my jockstrap or something like that. But he basically, he, he found loyalty uh, in a dude who thought that he was going to basically have him get fired or something. Uh, yeah, so he, he kind of shamed him into that loyalty, right? Right. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you're talking about the uh, the the pretty woman um, uh, effect or the pretty woman, uh, you know, uh, that movie uh, with Julia Roberts. Yeah, she goes. You know, so that's. Uh, I thought that was funny um, and uh, a very interesting or entertaining aspect of the movie. All right. Um, was there anything that uh, you guys wanted to close with? Um, that we didn't mention during the main portion of the show, or should we just shut this thing down and uh, wait till uh, the next time you're on for Captain Phillips? I'm the captain now. <laughs> I, I loved that they ended up getting 15% of the company back by getting drunk and going into a tiger cage and petting a tiger. And that was how he got it. <laughs> and Mc, Mc, uh, McConaughey, Kenny Wells jokes. He's like, he's like, I'll pull, I'll, I'll pull my, my bleep out for 40%. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, Robert, you've actually touched a tiger, right? You've been in a tiger cage. Um, actually, it was a chained tiger, but yeah, yeah, I've I've, I've laid on Damn. a tiger. They're in, impressive beasts. You, it's kind of thing you. If this thing ever went wrong, you, you'd be dead in a split second. Yeah, so wasn't it? Uh, wasn't it kind of a dick move by Acosta to wait until after Wells got the Golden Pickaxe Award to to basically reveal the fraud? I mean. Now he's got to like stare at this golden pickaxe the whole time, the rest of his life and go, God, I'm a fraud the whole time. Well, the rest of his life was only one year. And I think that the whole award thing was, was made up just for dramatic effect. I don't know if that was actually a thing, at least in the, in the story of that I read, 
that that wasn't even mentioned that he won some an award, some kind of an award. But it did add to the dramatic weight of you know he gets the award and then the guy slips out the back. There's a knowing glance, and then all hell breaks loose. That the next morning, right? The timing is like impeccable. Only could be in a movie that timing. Yeah. Yeah, they, had to take, I mean, they, they had to take a lot of liberties with this movie. They had to really change the story because what I, from what I understand, that the the real story, the the mining company in Canada, like there's still ongoing litigation to this day about that that whole fraud, um, or at least up until 2017 when this movie came out, uh, there was still litigation going on. So they couldn't be that true to story uh, just for legal reasons. Yeah, a lot of stuff going on, but but. Still a good movie, and I think it was a it was an excellent discussion. So, Jared, thanks again, and we'll have you back in a few short weeks. And, Looking forward uh, to it. People can find you again at uh, breakingliberty.com. That's correct? That's correct. If you're a fan of Breaking Bad and, uh, and or you're a libertarian, um, go to breakingliberty.com. You can download a couple of free books. I know us libertarians like to read. So uh, a couple of free Breaking Bad, Breaking Liberty eBooks that you can download for free, breakingliberty.com. All right. Sounds great. And this is uh, episode 164 of the Actual Anarchy Podcast. Show notes and more at actualanarchy.com slash 164. Uh, I will give my co-host Robert the uh, duties, the duty of telling you guys what you can do to support the show. And then we will say good night. Well, you can support us on Patreon. That's always the best, most direct way. You can uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can leave a review on i i Apple Podcasts. You can tell a friend. You can post about us on Facebook. You can leave, you can interact with us on our Facebook uh, private message group. You could do any of those things and more. I, I can't pretend to think of all the ways in which you could support us, much like the market. I can't centrally plan the ways you can support us. It would fail. My limited knowledge is not as good as all your genius knowledge is put together. So uh, I'm sure you'll come up with some way if you feel like we are worthy. And we're trying. We're trying to improve every show. And uh, I, I think it's a little bit better than it used to be. At least the audio quality is better. The streaming service is better. The guests are better. The, the hosts are better. The cameras are better. The mics are better. Everything's better. And it's all because of the market, baby. And uh, we'll say maximum premium, everyone. See you next week. Chipmunks. C H I P M U N K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do 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 do. days of the internet, radical libertarians were scattered, lonely, and faceless. Without direction, they resigned to scour the web, sifting through content providers in a wasteland plagued by YouTube demonetization, Facebook jail, and covert internet censorship. But then, in 2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers, all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, 
interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com.